Hello, my Heart to Heart with Your podcast family. So good to be here with you. I am tuning in from rainy coast Miwok land, soaking in this beautiful rain that we are receiving, the snow that is falling on the mountains and the Sierras right now, and just appreciating the, the gift of this. I hope you enjoy today's episode. I pulled it from the archives. It's a talk I did for our nature practice community in 2021. I wanted to talk a little bit about, about Martin Luther King and and his nature practice and uh, what we can learn from him and how it relates to our times. So the first time I went to Atlanta, it was maybe, I don't remember exactly, like maybe, I don't know, six or seven years ago. The main place that I wanted to visit was the Ebenezer Church because this is where, this is where Martin Luther King preached this is where he taught. This is where he shared what was on his mind. And so I just wanted to go there. I almost had this feeling like I wanted to bathe in his energy. And I wanted to take my young daughter at the time to bathe in that energy too. So my idea was that we were just going to go and see if we could just sit there and be there. And it was so beautiful because they were playing audio recordings of his talks. So you could actually sit there and listen to his voice. And it was very beautiful. And I've always been um, so attracted to, to his framing of the world and to kind of his storytelling and the links that he made. And, but it wasn't really until later that I started to get an inkling of his, um, of his connection with nature and of his personal nature practice. So one of the things he said is, although God is beyond nature, he is also imminent in it. Imminent. Do you recognize that word? <laughs> imminent. That was the title of my film, Immanencia, right? So it's this quality of like this universal life force found in nature. So he says, although God is beyond nature, he is also imminent in it. Possibly, probably many of us who have been so urbanized and modernized need at times to get back to the simple rural life and to commune with nature. <laughs> We fail to find God because we are too conditioned to seeing man-made skyscrapers, electric lights, airplanes, and subways. Okay, so interesting that he mentioned electric lights. And um, I mean, I don't really know too much about his day-to-day -day life, but I imagine that often he was too busy during the day to really have too much time to experience nature. 
And so what I'm thinking is that most of his nature practice happened at night. And the reason why I think this is that most of the references that he has when it comes to the love that he feels for nature, it has to do with the stars. And so, and, and, and on top of that, he really loved to journal. And he used to use note cards to journal. And so at the King Center, there's a collection of these note cards. And these are some of the things that he wrote on his note card, which might you know, feel familiar to you in terms of what you might be writing in your journals. One of the things he wrote in a note card was all this galaxy of wonders. So just kind of like expressing his awe, the galaxy of wonders, you know, like the sense of, and then he wrote in some other cards, he says, stars that guide sailors in storms. Stars that guide sailors in storms. So, you know, he lived through, through stormy times, right? And so for him, like to be talking about stars that guide sailors in storms, I like picture him looking at the stars and checking in for guidance to sail the storms that he was sailing as a captain of his ship. And then he wrote stars that enrapture astrologers as they ponder the zodiac. Interesting, right? So just like expressing the wonder of the messages, the archetypes that, that can be found in the zodiac. Stars of the Milky Way, stars that thrill the heart of poets. Yes, I just find it very inspiring that he, to know that he was taking inspiration from the stars at night after a very full day of, you know, leading people towards this vision of social justice that he was fighting for, to know that, that he was connecting with this wonder and awe and guidance of the stars. The, the second element that I find very inspiring is that he considered himself a student of nature, but not in the sense of like him studying nature, but a student of nature where nature was the teacher. So kind of this humility of letting nature be the teacher, which is a very big theme of ours as well. Nature is our teacher. And the part of us that is most connected with nature, that is, that is our real teacher. That is the teacher that, that we're seeking to come into closer contact with. And so he had a very uh, ecological point of view. And in his language, he was constantly drawing links between the interconnectedness of, of everything in our natural world and the relationship to that to justice and to nonviolence. So he said, you know, if we are to have peace on earth, we must develop a world perspective. Yes, as nations and individuals, we are interdependent. It really boils down to this, 
that all life is interrelated. So this is basically like the main point that ecologists are making today, right? That all life is interrelated. So every single one of our actions has a consequence on, on the rest of the fabric of our life. And then he said, we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied into a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied into a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects us all indirectly. Yeah, so it's being very conscious of the interrelation, you know, learning from nature that we are interrelated with each other and then applying that into the rest of his life. And then this is very interesting. There was a sense of optimism. There was a sense of knowing deeply that the forces of nature we're always supporting us into positive growth and evolution. So he said, the decay of any system based on principles that are not in harmony with the moral laws of the universe is inevitable. And he believed that somehow the universe is on the side of all that's moving toward justice and dignity and goodwill and respect. So he said, somehow the universe is on the side of all that's moving toward justice and dignity and goodwill and respect. And that has very much been my experience as well. The more grounded I am in my nature practice, the more consistent I am in my nature practice, the more of a sense that I have that the life force of nature is supporting the well-being on an individual level, on a community level, on a social level. And I also know that he was a good friend of Thich Nhat Hanh. Thich Nhat Hanh often spoke of their friendship. And so I can just imagine them having all these conversations of, about interrelationship to, that is found in nature and interrelationship between human beings and what the connection of the two are. And, you know, he was, while he had so many like civil rights issues to deal with in the United States, he was also very concerned about what was going on in Vietnam as part of this interrelationship interrelationship understanding of the world. And then finally, what I wanted to share just kind of as an observation of his nature practice was the importance that he placed on storytelling and on nonviolence as a practice of reciprocity. So when he was about seven years old, the neighbors decided that their children could no longer play with Martin and his siblings. Their white neighbors decided this. And so the children were heartbroken and they went to their mother asking, you know, why this was the case. And the mother responded by saying that 
it was because they did not believe that they were full human beings, but that soon things would be different. That soon a little black boy would be able to play with a little white boy and that soon a little white girl would be able to play with a little black girl. And this was, you know, 30 something years before his speech of I have a dream. And if you remember that speech, he said, I have a dream that one day a little black boy will be able to play with a little white boy and a little black, boy, black girl will be able to play with a little white girl. And so this was a story that was told, this story of this vision of what the world could be like was told over and over and over and over and over and over again through decades of his life and unfortunately, his life was so short, but it has continued to be told decades after his death. And so I just want to point it out as maybe a part of nature practice that you might have not given so much consideration to is the importance of storytelling. And so in the same way that you have been sharing your stories and your experiences, which I greatly appreciate, thank you so much for sharing. And I absolutely encourage you to continue to do so because sharing is a really integral part of building this community of supporting one another, of entering in reciprocity with one another, with our stories. I also invite you to consider the opportunity that you have to share your stories in whatever way feel good to you. And they don't necessarily even have to be a nature practice in a formal way, just simply stories of how you are seeing nature, how you are seeing our role within nature, how you are experiencing the love of nature, how you're experiencing the wonder, like whatever, whatever like comes to you, not to think that it's not worth telling because maybe you already told it. Maybe you even already told the same story, but I just want to encourage you as human beings, as like one of the things that we can be taking action on in very simple ways, sharing our stories of, of deepening our relationship with nature over and over and over and over again, because in today's modern society, we have so many things pulling us away from that. So to the extent that you can be part of reminding people and reconnecting people to that, it can be very supportive of the well-being of the earth. It's kind of like taking the well-being that you have gained from this relationship of the earth and then sharing it out in stories as a way of supporting the earth as well. So when he was like protesting the nuclear testing that was going on, at the time, he says, he said, we've played havoc with the destiny of the world. And in his last months of life, he said, somewhere, we must make it clear that we are concerned with the survival of the world. We must make it clear. And one of the ways that we make it clear is through our stories, through, you know, when I say stories, I mean, like through whatever the expression Maybe I use stories because that's kind of my principal expression as a filmmaker is through storytelling. But think about what is your primary expression as an artist 
as a singer, as a teacher, as a financial advisor, as a chef, as an illustrator, like in, as a farmer, right? Whatever your role and your expression is, it's almost like some of these things are so obvious that they don't, they shouldn't even have to be said, except for now they kind of, it's very helpful when we do mention them and when we do like underline it just a little bit because, because of the very like unnatural circumstances that we're living at this particular time. And related to storytelling and in order to get a little bit more encouragement from a storytelling standpoint, he also said that, he said, I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with a white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. And so when it comes to speaking up about the well-being of the earth, yeah, we can just check in with ourselves. Are we taking a moderate stance? What, what, what part of our stance might be just a little bit too moderate for these times? And where might we be a little bit more expressive? And, you know, of course, he was uh, deeply uh, influenced by Gandhi. He studied Gandhi a lot extensively. And so one of his great principles that he communicated on often, it was the principle of nonviolence, right? But nonviolence doesn't mean being quiet in the face of injustice. Nonviolence means expressing yourself in a nonviolent way. And this actually made me think, maybe it was the last little bit of encouragement that I needed, you know, just kind of in preparing for today's sharing circle. I've always had like this inkling that I should have a module on nonviolent communications and nature practice. And then I've kind of shied away from it because, oh, like it's a, it seems like a little bit of a departure, like not really relevant to what we're doing. It's kind of a different thing. And now I'm realizing it's a very important part of nature practice because especially in a situation where there's so much polarization and there's so much stress and anxiety in general in people that we are with, like being very skilled when it comes to nonviolent communication is not only supportive of our well-being, but it's very much supportive of the well-being of, of the earth as well. So, you know, to me, that was a little like, note to self about wanting to explore that a little bit more in terms of how I might weave nonviolent communications into our nature practice. 
So there's an article that I'll, I'll reference to in the recording that appeared in Common Ground magazine. And this was uh, Martin Luther King Jr. ecological thinker. And so you might want to look at it a little bit more. A lot of the um, material that I pulled out for this conversation came from there, a good amount of it. And the last thing that I wanted to say related to Martin Luther King is that he died when he was 39 years old. 39 years old, so young. And, uh, and to me, this was just kind of an emphasis of the preciousness of time, the preciousness of our human life, the preciousness of all of the conditions that had to be present for us even to wake up this morning, for us even to take a breath this morning. For us even to have this opportunity to be together in this circle today. And so, you know, knowing this just encourages us to be clear on our priorities, right? If you are not even 39 years of age, think about it. Like, think about, you know, what are your priorities? If you only were to have 39 years of life to live, what would you be doing with your life? And if you are past 39 years of age, what if you considered every single year that you've had after that as like this amazing gift? And you can ask yourself the same question. What is this priority? for this very precious life that you have been given right now to live. And I shared my journal writings about what was my purpose and especially my purpose in doing this work, my purpose in sharing nature practice with you. I'm gonna read that to you. To facilitate the awakening of the ear to the rhythm of the waves, the melody of the songbird, the whisper of the breeze, to point out the message of the blue heron as he matches his reflection of ribbon wings in the dawn on the bay, to share the delight of the hummingbird taking sips of the fresh mountain spring before stretching her neck up high to bathe her shimmering belly under the tiniest crescent moon, to guide into stillness, to set the stage for appreciation, to host the sacred and the divine, to offer solace, healing, deep warmth in the heart, to remember what it means to be human, a child of the water, the earth, the moon, and the stars. And so now I'd like to invite you to spend a few minutes just journaling, like whatever has come up for you, this whole conversation of Martin Luther King and preciousness of life and nature practice and wonder and awe and being a student of nature and sharing and expressing our experience with nature.
In closing, let's uh, take an opportunity for dedication. So what we do in dedication is we just call up any goodness that has come out of this time together today, any sense of appreciation. If you could just write it in the chat and then we'll just do our, our communal dedication. So we're taking a moment to appreciate the sense of presence that we found, the calmness, the connection, the integration, different pieces of inspiration, the joyfulness and opportunity to embrace winter, the enjoyment, the restoration, and the absolute feeling of growing and rooting and give space to others to learn from. We're sending it out through the wings of the birds and the branches of the trees and the clouds and the cool breeze and the waves of the ocean so that it might reach all beings, so that it might reach all leaders working for a better future, so that it might infuse all beings of all species and support their well-being and support their sense of presence and help them reach their fullest potential. And we give extra thanks for the inspiration that Martin Luther King Jr. offered us today Thank you so much, everyone. It was so beautiful to see you on, to be with you all, sending you big love, big virtual hugs, and enjoy your nature practice this week, and I can't wait to see you. So there you have it. If you are enjoying the podcast and you could take a second to leave a star rating, that would be greatly appreciated, as that is the way that the platforms put it in front of more earth lovers around the world. All right, take good care, sending you so much love, and I will see you next time.